Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today, you got just me. It's a solo podcast with Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. We did a Harvey Hyde podcast this week. We're going to do a premium uh, USC recruiting podcast uh, tomorrow on Wednesday with Gerard Martinez. I think we'll have Dan Weber on a little bit later on in the week. And uh, probably lots of recruiting talk coming up because of... Uh, you know, the Army All-American Bowl that we, you know, Gerard, Gerard and myself were at. And, of course, uh, signing day coming in early February. We're counting down to that. Uh, big official visit weekend coming up for USC. So with the college football season over, as of last night, Alabama winning another national championship. Uh, USC and the football team moving on. We'll wait till spring football. And, of course, you know, signing day will be uh, another time we get to talk to those guys. But really no football for a while, so a lot of it will be recruiting. I'm actually flying to Hawaii to cover the Polynesian Bowl and some of the practices. A bunch of USC targets will be there. So, yes, rough life. I get to go to Hawaii, but I'll be working a lot when I'm there. But I'll be like four days there or so um, covering all the targets and stuff. And it was funny watching the game last night, Tua Tagovailoa. Um, they, somehow they pr- changed the pronunciation of his name. It used to be Tagovailoa, and now they're saying Tungavailoa, but whatever. But uh, my wife and I were on vacation in uh, Hawaii, and we were having lunch. I think we were at like a pokey place or something, and we were going to go, well, I was going to go check out St. Louis High School because current USC linebacker uh, Jordan Iacefa was over there, and also uh, Tua Tagovailoa was their quarterback, and uh, wanted to go check out a practice. They they had the practice kind of closed, so we kind of showed up and could watch a little bit, but then... Yeah, I talked to the head coach afterwards of St. Louis School, and then uh, we I think we did video interviews with like Jordan and uh, Tua, and so it was, it was kind of fun. So I had to remind my wife last night, like we were sitting, and we were going to stay on the North Shore, so we we're in like Waikiki or Honolulu or whatever, and uh, going to jump over. You have to drive to the other side of the island, and I was like, "Hey, honey, can we uh, wait a little bit?" <laughs> so we probably delayed our trip over to the north side about six hours, but. Uh, she loves football, so you know. She said last night she didn't really care, but she, I had to re- I had to remind her. I'm like, yeah, remember that was a kid we went to go see when we were in uh, Hawaii. So, but anyway, I'm going back to Hawaii. A uh, bunch of targets will be there, USC targets and stuff. So we'll get interviews and video and stuff. I'm still putting up video from the Army All American Bowl. So lots kind of going on there. Um, so what I had planned for today, a uh, couple of things. One, I wrote a piece about Sam Darnold and his apparent regression uh, from his freshman year, redshirt freshman year to his redshirt sophomore year caused a lot of debates. I want to go through some of the numbers and stuff and kind of explain uh, what I was talking about. And then also um, there was, so I categorize all of your questions come in. If it's for coach Harvey Hyde, it goes into one bucket. If it's Dan Weber, another, and if it's just for like general, or if it doesn't say a specific person, there's like a sec, like this, basically my solo bucket, like the ones I just take all the other ones that they weren't directed to anybody else. Um, and it's huge right now. So, uh, I feel bad. I hate like when people, you know, if you guys take the time to write in, I want to make sure that I can, 
uh, take the time at some, uh, one of our shows to address uh, what you were talking about. So uh, I plan on doing that. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. So we'll try to go somewhat quickly and uh, and go from there. All right. So before we jump into all of that, I want to talk to you a little bit about Lisa. That's not a person. It's Lisa Bed. So it's an innovative direct-to-consumer online mattress brand. It's also very socially conscious. So uh, I got my Lisa Bed probably a month or so ago, and it was really cool. Uh, it comes in a box where it looks like you're getting a box delivered from whatever, like some store or something to get, I don't know, like some golf clubs. It's not even that big. And then inside is a queen size mattress. That's like, it's basically like freeze dried. So it's pretty cool. Um, their mission, uh, is to provide better sleep for everybody. They'll donate one mattress to a shelter for every 10 they sell through their one in 10 program. They've donated over 22,000 mattresses so far. Uh, they also plant a tree for every mattress that they donate and 1% of their employees time go to volunteer for local causes. Um, you can go online to, to lisa.com or they have a dream gallery in Soho, New York, Virginia Beach. Um, so you can try it out there if you happen to live in those areas. Uh, you can try it in your home. You order one 100 nights risk-free with free shipping. So that's pretty cool. Um, there's also 80 West Elm stores nationwide. You can go in and kind of sit on them and try them out too. So there's showrooms around the country you can uh, check those out on. Uh, but very cool stuff. Um they have a special promo for USC fans and for everyone listening to the Peristyle Podcast. If you go to lisa.com slash USC, that's lisa.com slash USC. It's the promo code is USC. You'll get $100 off your Lisa mattress. So using that promo code, it's the easiest thing ever. And it's it's really kind of cool. I mean, technology advances and, you, you know, every time I think of a mattress, moving it from one place to the other, this big bulky thing. I mean, when this comes to your door, it's like very, very different than anything uh, you've seen. So they, it's available in the United States, UK, Canada, and Germany. Um, and they also have other offers out there. They have a Lisa pillow, blanket sheets, foundation and frame. All of that is available uh, online. So you can check all that kind of stuff out on lisa.com. Go to lisa.com slash USC. And uh, yeah, we're, we're remodeling some of our stuff in our house. So we're kind of, <laughs> unfortunately, Lisa bed was like, having a lot of clothes on it because we were t- tearing out the closets and everything. So I'm kind of getting all that stuff off it now, but um, yeah, it's been really cool to uh, sleep on. And like I said, when you, when you get something like that delivered, it's, it's a very, very uh, unique experience. So uh, I definitely recommend it. Check it out. Lisa.com uh, slash USC. Okay. So I think we're going to start with the Sam Darnold stuff. So I wrote it. This is up a piece on uscfootball.com. Basically my question is, did Sam Darnold uh, regress this season? And I go through a lot of the statistics, and um, I want to say, like, basically what I wrote at the bottom of the column, I want to read that first, because I think some people read this and felt like I was somehow bashing Sam Darnold, which I'm not. I think, uh, here, I'll read the last uh, the last paragraph. Said, at the end of the day, without Darnold, USC would never have rattled off 13 straight wins, won a Rose Bowl, or won their first Pac-12 championship since 2008. Uh, whether he got better or worse over his college career, his presence did more to advance the Trojan football program out of the NCAA sanctions era than anyone else. And uh, I stand by that. I think he's been an amazing player for USC. I do feel like the coaching staff probably relied on his talents a little bit more and you know did him a bit of a disservice where I think they are a big part of the problem why he did um, regress, but this started last week. I tweeted this out, and then uh, a lot of people agreed with me, and then a lot of people are saying 
basically I was full of crap, that, you know, Darnold definitely got better. Um, so the Twitter conversation kind of made me want to do a lot, bunch of research and write something on it. And, you know, all of the, all, there's a lot of stats uh, that I put up uh, on the site. And then when I put it on the message boards and even on Twitter, people would like kind of comment without reading it, saying things. I'm like, well, I actually have stats to prove the opposite of what you just said. So a lot of people get in their mind like, so they're just saying, well, the offensive line was this and the and the receivers were that. And so, yeah, that's understandable. And, you know, a lot of that, uh, and I address all that in the beginning, like, yes, the two seasons are very different. He comes in as like the backup guy, you know, sort of like in the second half of the national championship game last night. There's really no expectations on him. Just put him in and, and you hope for the best. And he rattles off. Uh, you know, 10 straight wins and to be, you know, whatever, 13 in a row um, that he won, won the Rose Bowl. So certainly expectations weren't as high. Uh, I think the offseason wasn't handled as well as it could have been. Uh, I was never a fan. And I love Yogi. And I love Sam. I just thought that the premise of the Season of Sam podcast was a, a, certainly a potential distraction. And, uh, and they had some really cool guests and stuff, but I said it for, it wasn't like afterwards saying, Hey, you know, he's going to have a whole lot of turnovers. I said in the very beginning, I was like, I don't know, like maybe after his sophomore year, if he was coming back, like that could be like a Matt Barkley for a senior year thing where, you know, he's gone. Like this is a sophomore. Um, so that, that one really didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, now is that part of the problem? Why he didn't, wasn't playing as well? You know, I don't know, whatever, but it's just, it's one of those things that you probably didn't need to do. And you know, him doing like two dozen, huge features for national publications all throughout the off season. Like, did that really help? Um, no, I get it. I mean, it's that, you know, he was very accommodating. The family was very accommodating. They answered people's questions. I mean, I got emails or calls from his middle school music teacher about that. He was featured in one of those stories, you know, about something about Sam. So they were trying to find out Sam was the hot item, you know, and they were trying to find out anything they could about Sam. He came in and I think expectations change things too. I mean, we saw, when Lane Kiffin went 10 and 2 in 2011, the expectations changed. They were preseason number one. They had the number one recruiting class and like everything fell apart. Um, now, Sam Darnold, everything didn't fall apart. He threw for over 4,000 yards. No USC quarterback's ever done that. Now, he had, you know, a bunch of games to do it. They had an extra game with the championship and all that kind of stuff. But still, um, certainly, it wasn't like he played horrible all year. I think Sam, you know, saved their, the bacon of this team. Many, many times. But if you look at the numbers from his season in 2016 to 2017, there's definitely a big difference. I mean, his completion percentage uh, went down. His, you know, he ran the ball 62 times for 250 yards, four yards a carry. He was 11, 1.1 yards a carry in uh, 2017. I mean, he was sacked 29 times in 2017 and sacked only six times uh, in 2016. Now, well, the offensive line. Well, you look at his passing numbers when he was under pressure. He was under pressure a little bit more in 2017. It's a couple percentage points more, but he just played better when he was under pressure in 2016 um, than he was in 2017. And when you talk about the offensive line, every guy that started in the beginning of the season for USC, it wasn't their first start. Like, no, they weren't the regular starts all the time, but they had started games. And there was a lot of veteran leadership back on the offensive line. It should have been a strength. And this was the first time in six years, I believe it was, that USC returns the same offensive line coach. Many people felt that this offensive line should be better, more athletic. Um, you know, it's not like those guys are killing it at the next level. 
uh, the guys that you know had moved on, you know, certainly would have helped to have Damian Mama come back. Uh, you know, he he left and didn't get drafted. But the, it's not Sam's fault that the offensive line wasn't good, and it's not like the offensive line should have been good. That's on to me a lot of the USC coaching staff. Now maybe the players weren't developed right, but they should have been better um, than they were. And to go from six sacks to twenty nine uh, is crazy. I mean, nine fumbles lost, 12 fumbles. Sam Darnold fumbled 12 times uh, this year, you know, 13 picks. There's a lot there, you know, and and people thought, well, the the receiving core wasn't the same. You know, and people talk, even mentioned like a Dory Jackson who had two catches last year. Like, yeah, Dory Jackson's not on the team, but that hurts the defense and special teams certainly way, way, way more than, you know, the two catches he had uh, on offense. But um, he actually had more dropped passes or higher percentage of drop passes in 2016 than he did in 2017. And, you know, there were some hero catches made. Darius Rogers made a bunch of big third down catches. Um, I, obviously, Juju Smith-Schuster was a, a huge part of that. But Deontay Burnett came back. He was the hero of the Rose Bowl. You had Tyler Vaughn to win the job in fall camp. He didn't start till game five. That's not Sam Darnold's fault. That's on the USC coaches for trying to play a veteran who wasn't as good. Um, he was there. Now, Michael Pittman was injured for a little while. He was saying he was healthy. He wasn't playing. And until his dad complained, he didn't get out there too. So I get the wide receiver thing. And that's not Sam Darnold's fault. But that's also on the coaches that they didn't get the best players out there and give him uh, better targets. I mean, you see some of the catches that Pittman and Vaughn's were making that you have no business making. Those were as good or better than anything that we saw from Darius Rogers last year. So those guys were fine. Like I don't I don't see this big of a drop off in the receiver, the receiver core. You know, Juju's great, but that was more on the coaching staff than you know just getting the young receivers in there. So and and, and you have to blame a lot of those turnovers too. I mean, it's Sam Darnold. Like you're not securing the ball. Uh, he's trying to make plays, and that's what a lot of the NFL scouts love about him. But it was tougher. Uh, he was under pressure a little bit more. It wasn't a ton, but you know there was he was under pressure a little bit more. It was just the turnovers were, and and turnovers can be luck and stuff sometimes. But he put the ball on the ground twelve different times, and they they lost nine of them. So, you know, some pick sixes that were bad, some bad decisions, but some also hero plays too, Sam Darnold type of plays. And when it comes down to it, if you look at like I break down all the numbers, like when he was under pressure and all that kind of stuff, you can you can read all that up on the site. Um, I do feel that the coaches did a, him a bit of a disservice, where they could have put him in better situations uh, than he was. And I think sometimes when you get a special player like that, you kind of let it go. You're like, hey, we're gonna let him do his thing, and he's still a young kid. He's still a sophomore in college. Um, there, there needs to be some direction there. So, And all of that comes back to, was all of this part of the reason that Darnold decided to declare early? Because I was really feeling, and, and we were hearing earlier, that there was a good chance he was coming back. And then the later it got, the more rumbling we were hearing that he's probably going to go pro. And I think, I mean, he'll be a high pick. I think he'll be fine. Uh if he has to go to the Browns and like take over the franchise, I think that's going to be tough. But if he can go somewhere where he gets to learn for a year or so, which you don't always have that luxury, I think that would be a benefit to him. Because I think he's still a young kid. He's still a fun. Um, I mean, I love his interviews. I love the way he talks. Uh, even when you listen to him on the podcast, that I, you know, his podcast I was talking about, 
there's just he's he's genuine, you know, and special talent, generational talent for a quarterback for USC. But I think he, you look at him and you talk to him, and he does seem more like a college kid. Um, so it's going to be a big jump to go to the NFL, just like it's a jump to go from high school to college. But if you're going to be a top five pick, it's going to there's you know, expectations are going to be through the roof, and you know, I, I think there'll be some some growing pains for him. So, uh, but I think all USC fans should certainly wish him the best, and I hope they do. Um, he's been a pleasure to cover. Uh, his his sister actually was going to intern for us for a little bit. She ended up uh, moving back east to to become a, a volleyball coach. But um, the family has been great. They would you know approach me at practice as mom, you know, just come say hello, and and we got to see that was you know that was when he was fighting for the job. And then, you know, once he got the job, a lot of people were interviewing them and stuff. And uh, But they, they've been great throughout. Blue-collar, working-class family. Um, so anyway, go ch- check out the piece and let us know what you kind of think. Um, I think overall, the worst you could say is he, he, he didn't get better. And that's what you'd like to see. You'd like to see some progression. Um, and I think that's really part of the reason why, if he felt like, well, I was better as a freshman than a sophomore – um, am I really going to advance? Am I really going to learn more here at USC? And, you know, looking at the numbers, it's pretty clear he wasn't as efficient and effective as a sophomore than he was as a freshman. So, yes, there's all those other factors like we talked about, but you watch it, it just didn't seem the same. Now, was there an injury and all that kind of stuff too? There was an ankle injury at one point. You know, we've talked about it looked like his his hip was hurting at times. Uh, we'll see, and all that stuff will come out with the combine and all of that. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you want to wish him the best. If he feels like this is the best move for him, and he does, him and his family, um, you can't blame him at all. He gave everything he had to USC uh, for the couple years he was there, and that that year on the scout team where he gave everyone a good look, and uh, now he's moving on. So the big three for USC on offense: Deontay Burnett, a little bit of a surprise, but then. Same sort of thing later on. Uh, he wasn't used as much late in the season, got used a lot more in the Cotton Bowl. Um, kind of heard rumblings that he was going to uh, declare. So Deontay Burnett and then, of course, Ronald Jones, who everyone thought uh, was going to leave anyway. So the, the three biggest pieces to the USC offense are all gone. Um, so we'll see how that uh, ends up. Okay. So that was my piece on Sam Darnold. Let me know. You love it. You hate it. You think I'm an idiot. Whatever. Um, lots of stats. But I would recommend reading it before you say one thing or the other. There's all kinds of stats in there. So people are like, he had way more drop balls this year. No, he actually more had more drop balls uh, last year. And and some people have asked, like, can you do the second half of the season and all that? And I, I'm not jumping back in those numbers and breaking it down. It took a lot to go in just to get the numbers for the two seasons. So I think I'm going to kind of leave it at that. And people can draw their own conclusions. Okay, so let's see. Um, yeah, let's jump into these questions. I'm going to start from like the oldest ones. So some of these, I'm going to start reading them if they're just like, oh, wow, this is way old or it's not uh, applicable anymore. We'll, we'll move on. So I didn't like pre-screen all these apologies, but I just want to kind of go through, uh, especially, you know, people took the time to write in. Rick and La Mirada, I love the podcast. Uh, not loving Trojan play right now. Was Darnold a good manager of the team? Of, of skill studs last year. Right now, he looks like a mid-round prospect or a project. What do you think? Also, if he were to enter the draft, who is the quarterback Daniels uh, until Daniels hopefully saves uh, the position? 
They looked outmatched by far against the Buckeyes. After early signing disaster, where do the Trojans go to make the team competitive uh, in even the Pac-12? Sorry for the length. Uh, worried Trojan for life, Rick and La Mirada. All right, Rick. So um, JT Daniels will be competing in the fall. In the spring, you're going to see Matt Fink, who came in and had some really nice flashes uh, when you saw him come in uh, in the backup duty this year. I contend all the time that USC never gets their backup quarterbacks enough refs, ever. They just don't do it. And, um, I mean, it's crime that Max Brown didn't play more before they threw him into the fire against Alabama last year. I mean, just it just doesn't happen. So we didn't get to see much of Matt Fink, but there was a, you know, he had that 51-yard run or whatever was cool. And then Jack Sears uh, redshirted last year, or, you know, 2017. So those two guys get to compete in the spring. So they have a leg up. Um I do not think Sam is a mid-round prospect. He is a uh, top five pick, in my opinion. But Rick, don't worry so much. It wasn't a disaster as far as the early signing period. Uh, picked up, you know, big big commitment from Alan Ross St. Brown. Recruiting's okay. Uh, now you're learning more about the guys that are leaving and staying, like, you know, Port Augustine staying, things like that. So you have a much better feel for uh, the rides. And we'll go through, I'm going to rebuild the uh, scholarship distribution chart. There's one on 247 right now, but it's kind of clunky. So I'm going to probably just make a brand new one like we had before and uh, show everyone like how many scholarships are available and things like that. So we'll move on with that stuff. John K, a travesty, a mockery of a sham. The defense played well. Four turnovers and a missed chip shot field goal is a disgrace. It would if it would have been a closer game with an opportunity to win, it should have been. Best wishes to you guys and good luck next year from John K. Um, yeah, so a bunch of these are coming in right after the uh, Cotton Bowl. Um, he mentions the defense played well, and they did. And there was actually some rumblings. So I was watching the John Gruden press conference today. So some other news. T. Martin was interviewed uh, by the Raiders. Uh, Reggie McKenzie, who's the GM, uh, according to the Rooney rule, you have to uh, – interview minority candidates uh they had an internal candidate i think it was the tight end coach and then t martin was brought in uh so t martin did not get a interview at his alma mater tennessee and he did with the raiders now the raiders have done try, interviewed usc offensive coordinators in the past we saw how well that worked out but um for t martin it certainly wasn't a real interview they wanted to bring in john gruden um but he did get the interview there uh so uh, Reggie McKenzie confirmed that today. There were some reports about it, I think, yesterday. But so it was confirmed that he was the guy, uh, one of the guys that was being um, interviewed. And, and Reggie McKenzie, his son, Jalen, plays for the Tennessee Vols right now. And he played for Tennessee. So uh, kind of given a former, you know, a former teammate or I don't I actually don't know. I don't think they were at the same years now, but, um, you know, a, 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 a fellow alumni of the University of Tennessee, uh, an opportunity there. So uh, it's nice, you know, yeah, T. Martin wasn't going to get that job, but it's, you know, it's nice to get your name out there a little bit more. It gives you a little bit more legitimacy. So uh, good for T. Martin on that. But um, I don't know how I got into that subject. But yeah, that was some kind of some news from today uh, about what was going on with T. Martin. Oh, okay. So uh, we were hearing, I got some text and stuff that John Gruden and Clancy Pendergast are actually friends. And there was a chance that they would bring in Clancy Pendergast to the Raiders organization, but that did not happen. They announced their um, coordinators and stuff today. So they ended up hiring somebody else, but uh, it seemed like uh, Clancy was a candidate to be the defensive coordinator there. 
Marcus S. says, while watching the second half, I don't know if we realize we're down three scores. Can we show some urgency and run a play? Let's run 20%, 20 seconds off the clock. Something's got to change, Marcus. Yeah, that was, man, such a common theme. We talked about it a while. I talked about it on my... So I think a lot of these, um, the emergency podcast I did right afterwards, uh, so that was a solo one. So I did that in our my Dallas hotel room and then in the airport flying to San Antonio, the the emergency podcast. Uh, you had sent a bunch of these kind of things in, but then stuff just kept coming in and coming in. So that's what these ones were. So I wanted to, uh, like I said, address these guys. Steve said, guys, ugh, that was embarrassing. All the worst traits of our season on display. Since when was Burnett our primary receiver? And once Rojo wasn't working, why didn't Pittman and Vaughn's get calls? Uh, I really think Clay blew this one, don't you? And Sam, don't even think about going pro. Too late, Steve. Uh, your decisions were rookie. Am I right? Uh, it was awesome, as always. I'm uh, oh, sorry. D was awesome, as always. But offense was a national humiliation. Swan can't be happy. Uh, and why, oh, why Jack Jones show up in the third just to get a face mask penalty? That happened, right? So sad for the Trojans. It was like Notre Dame and Alabama all over again. Question, can we build on this with a new quarterback, or is it coaching? Such a confusing, confusing, confounding team this year. Ugh. Steve. Steve, you're all over the place there uh, in your thought process, so you probably sent that soon after the game. But, yeah, Sam Darrell's moving on. A new, you wanted a new quarterback? You're getting one. I felt anyone that – said Sam was like, should be replaced. It was um, off their rocker to, uh, to, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, there was problems. Sam turned the ball over three times in that game, but he's the reason you won a bunch of the games is, you know, this past year, the, the problem is, and I think that's what Steve's getting to is the big name teams that they showed up for. Uh, you know, they didn't play well. Um, you know, Ohio State and Notre Dame, you know, losing that game on the road to Washington State was a weird situation. There were, you know, certainly circumstances were weird and some of that stuff, but you want to beat Notre Dame, you want to beat Ohio State, and that's what Lynn Swan, I think, cares about, and that's what didn't happen. And I'm still getting texts like, I got this tweets from some guy, crazy guy, that's like, hey, they're going to fire Clay Helton tomorrow and bring in some NFL guys. I think they're talking about Jack Del Rio, but um, it's like, man, no, I I do. I think something could happen after next year if they struggle. Yeah, I. I, I mean, there's potential there. Um, but yeah, I mean, they still went eleven three. They won the Pac twelve. Uh, I get where people are frustrated, and I think there's going to be. Unfortunately, I think there's going to be more frustration before any sort of relief because we've, you know, talked about making staff changes over and over and over again. And all the intel we're getting is um, <laughs> that's probably not happening. So Clay Hilton decides to stand pat. And next year you have a terrible home slate. You have a Coliseum under renovation. There'll be less parking, less tailgate area. Everyone's seats will be moved. It'll be a pretty miserable game day experience. If the team isn't doing well to go along with all that other stuff, it could get pretty ugly. So, um, you know, we'll see. There's still time. They haven't announced any hires, but I think it's going to be more of a whimper than a than a roar. You're seeing a lot of these schools. I mean, Ohio State, you know, okay, so you get a 10th assistant, and it's actually today. It's the first day you can hire somebody. Um, does Ohio State go and, like, promote a grad assistant? No. They take 
the defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, away for Washington State. Bring him in. They already have one, but now they have another. Um, that's what the big-time programs are doing, going out and get the best coach, uh, maybe in like a division of an, another power conference, not promoting someone that no one's ever heard of. So, yes, I think USC, if you want to take that next step and be competitive with the teams that are going to be in the playoff every year, you kind of need to look to your hiring practices and and mimic what they're doing. Um, the What made Nick Saban's run so amazing, I think Colin Coward was talking about this, and he was comparing it to Pete Carroll's run, which Pete Carroll's run basically had the same players and the same coaches. Replaced players pretty well, didn't replace coaches very well, and couldn't get that magic back. Now, they kept going to BCS Bowl games, but they weren't able to get over the hump and win another title. Saban's been able to do that losing like the big name, like basically your Norm Childs every year, like losing those guys. Those They're going to other schools in your conference to compete against you, and you still replace them with someone else that's really good. Now, what are they doing? They're going out and finding the best guy. Like, okay, we lost the defensive coordinator. Who's the best one in the country? Okay, I'm going to go hire him. That's the kind of hiring that they're doing and Ohio State's doing and a lot of those programs are doing and we're not seeing that happen from USC. So that's that's what has me, I guess, early, you know, we see all these early top 25 lists. That what's That's what have, has me like early worried about um, the future of the program is that standing pat to me um, probably isn't the right move. Now, I get the team won the Pac-12 championship and all that, but I think the really good coaches kind of take a look in the mirror and say, all right, yeah, we did this and this was all good, but we did some bad things too. And if we make a couple of changes here and there, we can make this team a lot better. And I do feel this team talented enough. I think there's some really good coaches on the staff. I think there's just a few spots that could be upgraded significantly and it would do wonders uh, for the team. Now, I, it, from what we're hearing, it doesn't seem like Clay Helton agrees with that. And uh, you know, obviously, he's the head coach. He's the one getting paid all the money. So he'll make those decisions. And I think Lynn Swan sees those decisions. And he hears from fans and alumni and boosters about, hey, you got to get rid of this guy. You got to get rid of that guy. And if Clay Helton doesn't and the results aren't good, then he looks back and says, okay, you made a decision that was poor. Uh, now, if they go and win the national championship next year, then you're like, wow, that was a great decision. All these young coaches are, did a great job and whatever. If they don't, then you say, okay, well, that wasn't a good decision, at least based on the results. Um, so, you know, a lot of people felt you should have upgraded the staff in these certain areas, and you did not, and there'll be consequences for that. And, I, you know, who knows? We, we'll see what happens. But, the, you know, I, I think the, the Cotton Bowl uh, shook things up a little bit, just the way USA came out and played against a, a power team. And would USC have been better off playing like UCF? Down, UCF beat Auburn. Um, I thought UCF might not have Scott Frost, but they did. So, And they played hard for him, which you thought that maybe they wouldn't play hard in a bowl game. Uh, maybe that would be worse, like losing to a team like UCF that's like an upstart type of team. But I think the blue blood, that's what Lin Swan knows, is the blue blood programs. And he saw Notre Dame, and he saw Ohio State, and that just doesn't sit well. So, all right, end of that rant. Andrew, West L.A., I don't think there's been a more perfect encapsulation of this season than the game tonight. Strong drives and strong defensive stops have allowed us to stay in games all year, but ultimately USC shoots itself in the foot with turnovers, bad play calling, and then allowing the game to be in the hands of the refs. But hey, at least the game was over early instead of USC almost blowing it in the fourth quarter. 
So what does USC need to work on most this offseason? Is it the play calling? For example, USC was notorious for running the ball or throwing short on second and third and long when losing games this year. Or is it the physicality or offensive line, although depleted and young, was bullied up and down the field all year. Eventually, Darnold wasn't going to be able to make all of the crazy plays he made last season to bail the offense out. On that note, I've never felt worse for a player than I did for Sam Darnold tonight. His offensive line did him no favors, and he had to struggle to dig himself out of a hole from the very first drive on. Hopefully, he takes the Matt Barkley mentality of unfinished business and decides to stay. Uh, sorry, Andrew, it didn't happen. But doesn't end the season 7-6 and six with an injured shoulder. Thoughts? Andrew in West L.A. Um, yeah, I, I mean... Okay, first of all, the, the Ohio State defensive line was ridiculously good. We talked about that many times. Um, but the offensive line did not play well. And I think that's one of those areas where you had continuity. People talked about that the offensive line had no continu- continuity from year to year, and that's part of the struggle. Um, it wasn't a really beat-up offensive line. I mean, you know, you lost Viani and uh, replaced him with a true freshman who was in the spring, who's been around and you know played all year. Andrew Voorhees, so it's pretty, you know, it was pretty good, like, as far as um, health-wise throughout the season. The, the Washington State game, they had three guys down and all that. But for the most part, it was intact. It should have been better than it was. I mean, I, you know, there's probably blame to go around for the players and the coaches, but um, it should have been better. So that's one of those areas where, like, hey, man, this is a, a unit that really underperformed you wanted continuity. It didn't seem to help. So do you need to bring in somebody else to uh, to fix things? I don't know. Harold NorCal Trojan. Watching the Cotton Bowl, it feels like a replay of so many other games this year. Bad habits like early giveaways continue to haunt the team. The lack of urgency displayed late in the third, early fourth was frustrating. What kind of coaching changes can we expect in the near future? I'm glad this bittersweet season is over. Looking forward to off-season coverage. All the best in 2018, Harold NorCal Trojan. Thanks, Harold. Kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, we'll see, but I'm not. If you're if you're hoping for for big changes, I don't think you're going to see them. We haven't even heard so you know any kind of announcements as far as replacing Tyson Helton or bringing in um, the the tenth assistant. So my gut feeling is it's going to be underwhelming it's not going to be some name you're like wow usc went out and hired blah 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 it's not going to be that unless someone gets to clay helton uh, soon and changes his mind uh justin i like t he does a lot of things well but play calling isn't one of them now the excuse of is tyson is gone we know what it looks like with just him calling plays stale predictability and never enough blockers on running plays. sounds exactly like the criticism before tyson left justin yeah justin um so we, I talked about this in the emergency podcast, uh, and I'd never saw anything since then, but Scott Wolf had tweeted that uh, Brian Ellis, the um, the offensive assistant who was promoted or took over Tyson Helton's job, uh, was involved in play calling on passing plays. Seemed unlikely. Talked to some, you know, it's, but I haven't been able to get a real good answer from anybody if that happened. We haven't been able to talk to, to Clay Helton about that. My gut is it didn't look like there was only one person involved in the play calling. There was, it just seemed there was, I don't know how to say it. It just, the continuity wasn't there. It just didn't seem like it was flowing correctly. And now maybe that's all, maybe it is all on T Martin. Uh, it's hard to say. We don't know exactly how that went, but from watching all year, it just seemed like there was more hands in this cookie jar. So 
we'll see once we finally get to talk to the coaches. We tried to set something up, but um, they didn't have their end of the year conference call like they normally do. And we asked sports information about it. And they said they had nothing planned. So, um, I mean, maybe we don't get to talk to them until signing day, but we'll try to, we'll keep, we'll keep trying and get some answer, answers there. Huntington Harvey, the offensive line group has been dominant over the past few years versus top tier front sevens. Is this a talent? Oh, I'm sorry. Hasn't been dominant against top tier front sevens. Is this a talent slash recruiting problem or could this be a scheme issue Trying to be "quote unquote" multiple is just too difficult for college players. Seems like Mama and Banner were considered too big, slow, and now this group isn't long enough or strong enough. How can we expect the offensive line to be a, a spread and a power team at the same time? Huntington Harvey. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a power team at all. I think it's a spread team, um, and they have struggled against the front sevens. And I, I think they're talented enough. I mean, I, I don't think. I, you know, I think you bring in a lot of offensive linemen like to have some of them aren't working out and you're not seeing the field, but the ones that are, I think are, are doing, you know, there's some pretty talented dudes there. I thought Jordan Austin did a good job. Like when he had to come in, but something's not quite right there, uh, Huntington Harvey. And I think they need to, I think it needs to be addressed and I'm just not sure if it's going to be. He also said, are there any examples you could point to of a spread set college offense, being able to establish a dominant power running attack without Heavy use of either fullback, H-backs, or employing the quarterback into the run game. I don't see how this offense works short of having an NFL-quality offensive line across the front five. I don't really have any kind of examples of that. Um, I think when you do run the quarterback, it's like it's kind of like having an extra blocker because you're, you're making the defense account for that. And USC didn't do that a whole lot. And you saw it, like I mentioned at the top of the show, Sam Darnold rushed for 1.1 yards or a rush. Now, a lot of those were sacks and stuff. Um, but nowhere near like the kind of uh, yardage he had last year. And he could have even more last year. He had 250 yards, um, not including the six sacks and all that. But, yeah, I think he could have been a bigger part of the up. Now, he did have a big run. Uh, I think it was like a 39-yard run or something. But it was so few. Like, you could have one of those every game or every other game. I think you could have had Sam with some big third-down conversions. If you watch the Army All-American Bowl, you know, JT Daniels, rushed for a couple first downs on, on third down. I thought that was nice. And uh, I think they could have done that more. Now, maybe they're protecting him. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I think they could have incorporated that more into the offense. Alex, this game confirms everything the fans have been saying about the coaching staff. The team never improved and did not look prepared for OSU. I know it's not the Rose Bowl, but this was a premier matchup, and you don't even show up. Why are you not ready? All you want to see is improvement in the coaching staff. For example, I'm in Boston. The Patriots' defense looked terrible at the start of the year, and they shut down defenses, and they're shut down defense now. Not even close, but they made progress throughout the year. I'm sorry, are they a shutdown defense now? Not even close, but they made progress. Love the podcast. Found it this summer and listen every week. Well, thanks, Alex. And I'm glad I got to read your uh, question, even though it's you know obviously later after the, the bowl game. Um, yeah, I think you do want to see – you want to see improvement. And I think there were some improvements made. I think once they got some of the better receivers in there playing, um, I think that improved. I, I think they got away from Deontay Burnett a little bit. And then maybe, you know, maybe the, the cotton bowl where they were almost forcing it to him was a plea to get him to stay. I don't know. Um, but it was a little too little too late. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there were certainly problems. I, I liked the way some of the groups played. I think certainly the secondary, there was problems. Um, you know, defensive line, I thought, you know, did a pretty good job. You know, Chenin and Wusu was was great. 
um, you know, batting all those passes down and stuff. I think the offense, I think the defense in general, you got your money's worth for that. Um, and Clancy Pendergast did a better job. They weren't great every game, but you know, they, they always made their negative plays and they always, you know, give you opportunities. And they did a really good job when, you know, USA turned the ball over a lot. And they did a really good job in most games of not letting those turnovers turn into points. Now, Notre Dame, every turnover turned into a touchdown. Um, all the, you know, all three touchdowns were off turnovers for Ohio State in this game, too. So you can't do that all the time, but they, for the most of the season, they did a pretty good job of that. On the offensive side, it should have been better. Like the offense needed to be better. They had way too much talent overall. You want to say whatever it is, but they had way too much talent to, look the way they looked in some of those games and really not beat the pants off of some of the teams they should have beat the pants off of. And that's where a lot of the, the, the quote unquote negative Nelly USC fans were like when they're not happy that they didn't beat a, a mediocre team worse than they did. And people were like, Oh, you're just complaining. They won. Forget about it. Well, that's part of the reason is like, you know, week after week you should dominate a team or two. And we just didn't really see that outside of a couple of games. Frank at Sacramento, the defense held Ohio State to 17 points in the first half and barely let them cross the 50 in the second half. If we had a better offensive line, we would have won the game. Yeah, Frank, the, uh, it's funny, you know, pick six and all that, and USC gave up, you know, the defense really didn't give up much. USC drove into the red zone three times in the second half and didn't score. So that's a, that's a bit of a, a problem, I would say. So, yeah, they, they had an opportunity to win this game for sure. All right, the questions keep coming. Uh, Frank, he said, Frank and Fresno, lifetime Chargers fan, grew up in SoCal. First of all, thanks for such a great podcast. I love everyone's takes and opinions on the team. About the game, whoa, what a mess that game was. I don't care what team is on the field, what conference or what level of football, uh, when, when that game was, or I'm sorry, what a mess that game was. When you comment, um, excuse me, when you commit that many self-inflicted wounds, turnovers, Lack of pass blocking. You cannot win any game. Don't blame the refs Don't or the plays called. Blame yourself and the coaching staff for not being prepared. Maybe the hype got to them. Maybe their heads were too big. Or maybe they're just not ready to play with the big boys yet. The offensive line looked soft and weak and got pushed around all night. Pretty sad. As far as the defense, great job. No complaints or gripes. Can't wait until next season. Hopefully, Coach Helton finds a better coaching staff to work with the offensive line. We need a big-name offensive line coach with a good pedigree. Thanks for finding on from Frank. All right. Oh, excuse me, Frank. Sorry, my voice is going a little bit here. Um, thanks for that one, Frank. Uh, let's go. Man, this is a little long. Scott in Scottsdale. He said, I have a general question regarding USC coaching. If you look at every big-time program, which USC unquestionably is, one thing that is consistent with all of them is that their coaching and coordinators are in high demand and often land head coaching gigs or get hired away for more money or for a better position. I don't really count this Tennessee hire of Tyson Helton because – that is just a head-scratcher the school has shown an ineptitude when it comes to hiring. But I've noticed there hasn't been a single assistant coach or coordinator at SC since the Carroll era who's been a serious candidate for a head coaching spot on the offensive defensive coordinator elsewhere. T. Martin's name has come up. We talked about that earlier in the show, Scott. Uh, most view him as a future head coach. But aside from a courtesy phone call from ex-college coach, he's never had an interview anywhere to my knowledge, though I could be wrong. So he just had one, like I said, with the Raiders. But... Was it a Rooney rule, you know, uh, customary, you know, yeah, uh, we kind of think it was. They just wanted to hire Gruden. I think this is a testament to how poor the hiring has been at USC. Dylan McCullough could be a star in the making, 
But I think the fact that nobody else wants to hire our coaches is a sign. And think about it. With Kiffin, Sark, and Helton hires, those weren't guys whose phones were exactly ringing off the hook. Uh, not one of those three could have landed another top 25 job at the time SC hired them. And, that's, uh, and then SC comes around and gifts them one of the best five jobs in the country. There's not really much of a question here. I'm just curious on your thoughts on the matter. I live and die with the team every Saturday, and I'm just sick of seeing the team get out coached every single week and having to rely on talent alone. And then we see what happens when we have to play a team that has equal talent. It's not pretty. Thanks for your great coverage, Ryan, Scott, and Scottsdale. All great points, Scott. And yes, I think when you get to the point where you're hiring people that other people weren't going to hire, um, Steve Sarkeesian, when USC hired him, if he would have lost the Apple Cup that year, Washington was going to fire him or, or really thinking about fire him. So that was more about bringing someone back that you're familiar with as opposed to going out and getting the best coach, you know, and the Lane Kiffin thing where he'd only been in Tennessee for a year. And, you know, that's trying to bring the band back together. And and Clay Hilton is the internal hire. Uh, no, no one. He, he wasn't going to be a head coaching candidate anywhere else. So, I mean, those are all great points. Um, having said that, Clay Hilton is a, is a great guy, super likable, and I think he has, I think he has what it takes, but I think he might be getting some bad advice too. And I, and I think at this point you have to go out and bring in some of these big name guys like you're talking about that would try that people would try to hire uh, elsewhere, or USC administration would try to replace Clay Hilton with. You want to bring in guys that could take your job, and I just I'm not seeing that right now. So. Um, Clayton's a guy that you it's hard not to root for I mean there's a lot of USC fans that aren't rooting for him but if you get to know him at all like he's a guy you want to root for so I hope he can get things right it's they won the Pac-12 but it doesn't just like last year after winning the Rose Bowl I think they built a lot of momentum after winning the Rose Bowl because it was Penn State and it was a national kind of thing the two big national brands they played Notre Dame and, and Ohio State they got their butts beat and that doesn't sit well with the with the fan base. So, yeah, last year losing to Alabama and Utah and Stanford, you know, that wasn't very fun. But going on that run at the end of the season and beating Penn State meant a lot. It would have meant a lot to beat Ohio State. It meant a lot to win the Pac-12, but not as much as to beat either Notre Dame or Ohio State. Those are the kind of national brands you want to beat. So, all great points. Thanks for the email. Uh, Don wrote in. Helton likes to defend the game plan by quoting statistics, usually offensive statistics. The offense looks more like a schoolyard game rather than a well-planned scheme. USC never appears ready for good, talented, well-coached teams. So what is the problem? Is USC's talent inferior? I would say no, Don. Is talent undercoached? I would say yes. Uh, is game planning lacking? I'm not sure about that one. Is the staff qualified to coach a team with playoff aspirations? Not sure about that either. Are coaches watching film for entertainment? No, I don't, I don't think that's the case. A common comment by players after losses to good teams have been, we were we were not prepared or uh, did not see tendencies today on film. Did not see that on film sounds like a cop-out. Apparently, OC is not good enough to come up with his own ideas. He's talking about T. Martin. Granted, OSU is a great defensive team, but USC had the talent to win this game. Players performed at a high level. Other than Clancy and the running back coach, SC coaching sucks. Apologize for the, all the emails, Don. Wow, Don, not real happy. Uh, I think points we kind of all addressed before. I tried to answer your questions throughout, but thanks for the email, Don. 
Uh, let's see. Here's a text from, let's see, Ryan, first time texter and listener. Uh, what's up with the coin toss? Doesn't it have to flip? Okay. Uh, this is from Andrew in Lancaster. Yeah, that was weird with the, uh, the lady from like the car dealership didn't flip the coin and it just, just fell and it was Ohio State's ball. But I, I mean, I don't think that really mattered all that much, but whatever. Also, I was watching a replay of Deontay's second fumble several times. I cannot see how they called that a fumble. Even Reggie tweeted about a horrible call. The missed P.I. call on Stephen Mitchell also took a lot, a lot of momentum away from the team. I thought the Pac-12 reps were bad. Love the podcast. Listen to it every day on my way to work. Fight on forever, Andrew and Lancaster. Yeah, Andrew, um, certainly there were some questionable calls, but there was, you know, you're talking about an SEC crew. They don't throw as many flags. If you're used to Pac-12 crews, they're going to throw flags on everything. So some pass interferences, holding, some of those things are just going to happen because they just don't call as much as they do in the Pac-12. Uh, text from Lamar. Hello, Jordan family. The program under Helton has made positive strives. He has beaten Washington and Stanford in the Pac-12. They beat Penn State and won the Rose Bowl and played well enough to have a discussion about playoffs for 2017. The next step will be to fix the offensive line. The program cannot make the next step until they get more physical up front. They will win the Pac-12 championship in 2018, but can they compete to win the Big Ten, SEC, or Clemson without that push up front? I don't think so. How do they fix the problem? Lamar in the high desert. All right, good points there. Now, he's he's more positive about next season. Um, Lamar is. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I don't think they're going to make any changes on the coaching side, so um, it'll be up to Clay Helton to to coach up his coaches and make sure that something changes because it was not as pretty as you would have liked towards the end there. Reno SC texted in, Happy New Year, everyone. How many more years does Clay Helton have on his contract? And do you guys think Clay will be loyal to his friends Baxter and Callaway? Or does he have what it takes to better the staff and make some changes? Um, not really familiar with the terms of his contract, but I think he's probably going to have to get some sort of extension uh, after the second year here. We'll see what uh, if they announce anything from Lynn Swan. And like I said before, I don't think he makes any changes. Sorry about that. Scott in San Diego texted in, Happy New Year, Peristyle crew. I know there's not much we can do, but the Pac-12 crew officiating the Sugar Bowl is embarrassing. Not only did the conference go 1-8 in bowls, but now we get to show all of America why the Pac-12 is the poorest-run conference in the country. Scott, yeah, great point. And uh, the Music City Bowl was horrible, too, where they threw out a player and had, like, a targeting. I mean, it was bad. Um, talked about that a little bit, I think, with Harvey Hyde, too. And um, it's... It's a disgrace, and it's something that needs to change. We talk about it on our uh, podcast of champions. If you want to check that out, Pac12podcast.com. David Woods from Bruin Report Online and myself do that show uh, every week and talk all about the whole Pac12. And, yeah, the referees come up a lot, and they are abysmal. Another text. Uh, Ryan, this question is for you. If Sam leaves for a Sunday squad, he has, um, and you had to place your last dollar on who would start a quarterback next season, who would your money be on? Is there anyone to challenge Fink? Or do you think he's ready? Love your show. We'll truly miss it during the offseason. Sir Eric of Troy, still hoping for, quote-unquote, two hides on rye. Thank you, Sir Eric of Troy. And you're not going to miss it during the offseason. We'll be back. So we don't go away. We're, we're staying here. If I had to put money on it, okay, man, maybe it's recency bias, but I was down in, in San Antonio watching JT Daniels. He's just like, he's like RoboQB, man, like, you know, the Morenovich days. Um He's not going to have a lot of time. He's coming in the fall. You know, he'll be in the summer. I've got, I'm going to go out on a limb and say JT Daniels wins the job. Not going to be easy. And we don't know if 
you know, even if he's the clear best quarterback, if Clay Hilton was going to pick him, because he didn't pick Sam Darnold, uh, you know, when when he was clearly the best quarterback at the time. So we don't know, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say JT Daniels. Uh, JR in Albuquerque. It's obvious to all Trojan fans that certain changes are needed to upgrade the coaching staff. That's pretty much a common theme in most of your questions. How quickly will we see changes happen with the coaching staff given that signing day is approaching? Would a change in OL or DB coaches affect any current players' decisions to potentially transfer out? After such a poor showing from special teams and kickers, remind us why Coach Clay Houghton gave them scholarships. Thanks for all you do and have a happy new year. J.R. and Albuquerque. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the kind of coaches that are on the fans' hot seat, the you know offensive line, defensive backs, special teams. Um, it is weird that they go out and give to a kicker and a punter who performed well all year um, as walk-ons, and once they got scholarships, they didn't play as well. So it sucks. I mean, you know, it's a big stage and and all that, but um, those guys, I don't mind that as much. I had a problem with giving guys scholarships out of high school. I mean, having four kickers on scholarships and stuff it just it just seems strange it just doesn't make a lot of sense i'd much rather see them bring in a walk-on uh, unless it's like this five-star recruit that everybody in the world wanted or whatever um and that's not the case of what they've been bringing in bring in a guy let him be a walk-on and if he performs well give him a scholarship you know and if it's a comp- competition i mean they had two competitions uh in the fall and the guys that didn't have scholarships won you know so those are the guys that should have had scholarships from the beginning. And then you give them one at the end of the year, and then they don't perform well in the bowl game. So that was strange. Don wrote in, was the improved play of the defensive backs a result of Jack Jack not playing? Uh, since Jack does miss assignments, he puts more pressure on the other backs. Without Jack, the DBs look more focused on their assignments. Since he is so talented, he presents a dilemma for USC. Hopefully he uh, he, he probably just needs better coaching. Uh, from Don. No, I don't, I don't mean, I don't think that's the, it wasn't like addition by subtraction or anything. I just don't think it was a very dynamic, uh, passing offense from Ohio state. And, uh, and you know, DBs played, played better. I, I, the whole defense played better. So, uh, I got to give the defense credit, um, there D cam. Uh, if Scott is correct about the graduate assistant. So we talk about Scott Wolf about graduate assistant college plays, Brian Ellis. With all the other deficiencies regarding Helton as a head coach, I cannot envision Helton ever attaining an elite status as a coach. He says, one, given GA responsibility with no experience. Two, practicing with no pads for games, big physical teams. Three, coaching, uh, no coaching for Darnold during the games. Uh, four, beating barely poor Pac-12 teams, losing to ranked teams. Uh, six, no improvement during the season. Uh, I'm sorry, that was five. Six, uh, inferior coaching staff compared to other big programs. Seven, many more negatives. So he didn't want to bother even listening anymore. Uh, other than Helton is a nice guy, what qualify, What qualities do you see in his coaching ability to retain him? USC has five-star players and two-star coaches. Either they hire four or five-star coaches uh, or five stars or, or the five stars will disappear. DCAM. Uh, so DCAM, not real happy. With the uh, USC coaching staff, but that, like I said, kind of along the same theme. A lot of these, uh, a lot of our emails have, have been like that. David from behind the orange curtain, keep reading on the pot. Um, keep reading on the pods. I think he maybe means the boards that fans are questioning Sam's ability to get the reads right. Is that really Sam? Plays are late down to the field after going through the three man 
um, system, who has time to call an option? Now, I think it's a good point. The plays were not getting to him very quickly. Plays are inconsistent with respect to the flow of the game. Call it Dan's grab bag approach. Sam is best when he's in the flow. I agree with that. Sam is seeing defenses that are not optimal for the play call. Hardly to be fully committed when you know the play is a bust right from the start. Uh, dare I say, Sam has been instructed to not to call options. Just stick with the call. Hard to believe it is supposed to be uh, an ROP, uh, a run pass option system I think he's talking about here. Um, I think that's what he means. Uh, so why should Sam come back next year if he's not going to be coached up and stuck with the non-optional play calling, a lot non-optimal play calling system, David from behind the orange curtain. So a lot of people, I mean, think that's what you're there. Why he left, David? Uh, people think that. So uh, we don't. That's not what he said. But you know, people feel like um, that. And you know, if you read my story, uh, you know that he definitely wasn't playing better as a sophomore than a freshman. Is it regression? Is it just that he wasn't getting better? Um, does he want to get better and can he get better in the NFL? And, you know, that's probably part of the reason too. Steve in Seattle guys, just scratching my head with all the presumption that Sam becomes a Brown. What does Cleveland get that they don't have with Kessler or Kaiser? What is your take on Sam's magical winning attributes that Cody must lack and can either of that and can either be that team savior? I'm hoping Sam, Sam stays closer to home with the chargers or Raiders uh, y'all are great. Can't wait for next year. Fight on. Happy New Year, Dan, Chris, and Coach Hyde. Steve in Seattle. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've seen Cody Kessler play and Sam Darnold play, that's no, that's not the same uh, player at all. I'm not as familiar with Deshaun Kaiser. Um, Cody Kessler was a very efficient uh, quarterback who checked down a lot, um, didn't take a lot of risks. Uh, wasn't throwing the ball downfield as much as you would have liked. And, you know, was it the coaching around? I know it's hard to say, but, I mean, the the, the play that epitomized it when I can't remember which game it was, but they needed a, a Hail Mary, and he took the seven-yard out, like, to set something up. Like, the fact that that would even be in your mental, uh, you know, progression, it's a Hail Mary. Like, you need a Hail Mary, not a seven-yard out. Um yeah, so that's just kind of it. Like, Sam Darnold would never throw that out. He's looking down the field all the time. He's going to make more mistakes. He's He's got way more upside. So those guys are very, 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 very different. So I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with your assessment there. David, how about an anti-nepotism rule? Assistant coaches cannot be family or close, close friends of the head coach. I understand that PC did it too, but this type of relationship makes it too difficult to remove coaches who are performing inadequately. I love that rule, David. And I think that was part of Pete Carroll's problem later in his career is that he went from these big name coaches to everyone on his staff being a former graduate assistant. Like he wanted to create coaches around him as opposed to going out and getting the best coaches available. What you're seeing Nick Saban while he keeps that going is he doesn't like, if there's a great coach he can promote, he'll do it. But He'd rather go out and get the best defensive coordinator, or best wide, whatever it is. Um, I think that's part of, uh, you know, part of the problem. And yes, I, I love the no nepotism rule. Man, we got a lot. I'll probably do a few more of these, and uh, we'll try to move on. Uh, these are three checklists, in my opinion, for USC next season. The offensive line needs to get better. Perhaps a new offensive line coach. 
Hire a DB coach that can help the DBs perform better in man coverage. And three, have more physical practices and practice more leading up to games. Number three is the most concerning to me. It's been well-documented by media outlets covering the team. Why has there been no change? And what will it take for that change to happen? Sorry for the long message. Thanks for fight on. Neil and Manila. Yeah, good points. We talked about the first two. Um, yeah, I think practice, uh, their regiment for practice, I think, should change. And Ohio State practiced twice in full pads in Dallas. USC didn't practice at all. USC practiced in full pads once after the Pac-12 championship game. I don't know how many times Ohio State did, but it was five or six or something, at least, you know. Uh, once or twice a week, they were doing it. And and Ohio State practiced one more time than USC did at all in Dallas. So um, I think maybe the the sanctions mentality is still stuck in there where they're trying to kind of protect the players. There's already a lot of rules to protect the players. I think you take advantage of as many fully padded practices as you can. And the philosophy hasn't been to do that. And, you know, honestly, they haven't really changed a lot of the philosophy. So I don't see it changing, even though there's a lot of pressure to. People ask questions all the time about full pads and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. But, Neil, I, I just haven't seen that change. Or I, I, I haven't seen them, like, willing to change in areas like that for whatever reason. Neil also said, who do you guys think should take Uchenna's spot at outside linebacker uh, next season? Thanks for fighting on Neil and Manila. Um, I mean, it's a really good question. He's so productive. You're going to lose a lot of production out of that spot. Um, I think you got to let a lot of, there's a lot of young guys there um, that have to kind of compete. Maybe they, they move things around. I, I think a lot of the times um, you look at what Clancy Pendergast does and I, you know, it, he kind of tries to, to shape these to, you know, fit his personnel. Um, I think a lot of the times it's like, okay, you like this guy, let's find a place for him, um, you know, somewhere. And I think, you know, hopefully they'll be able to, to do that. Like, you know, like a Levi Jones, I like the way he was playing. Could, you know, Connor Murphy, Olawale Batiku, uh, you know, Falonico, maybe like a Hunter Eccles or something. I mean, there's a lot of guys there. Jordan Iacefa, um, you know, Taylor Katoa, who redshirted. I mean, there's a bunch of dudes that, you know, there's some potential. Um, Levi Jones, though, might be the most uh, intriguing. Um, so we'll see. But thank you for that question. Jason F. says, long-time listener, thanks for your show. Uh, heard in an interview, Coach BKU, the defensive line coach, say, he would like to be on the field with the players, but doesn't say who, but either Clay or Pendergast won't let him. And they want him in the booth instead of on the field with his players, which he says he prefers to be on the field. Uh, what do you think should be, where do you think he should be at and what makes the difference on the defensive line play? And the defensive line is supposed to make our offensive line play better in practice by going against them. But it looks like, they're not practicing hard enough in practice to get the results on the field on game day from Jason F. Um, Jason. Yeah. So that was probably the interview you saw with Keely. Yore on our site. She talked to uh, Kadisha Daisy in the locker room. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's uh, if he wants to be on the field, he's a defensive line coach. I'd like to see him on the field too. So we'll, we'll have to ask Clay Helton that the next time we get a chance. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, I, I think he's, 
I think he's been a, a really good young coach for USC. One of those guys that was a strength coach they promoted, but seems to be working out pretty well. So we'll see uh, where he goes. But yeah, I'd like to see him on the field too, if that's, especially if that's where he wants to be. Don, wow, this is a really long one, Don. He says, looks like you're enjoying your week in San Antonio. Certainly should be interesting. We appreciate all your work and look forward to your podcast. But I believe the Pac-12 Network should hide your whole team, hire your whole team, and upgrade their network. That's a, I like that, Don. That should be good. She said, Keeley's interview with Kenichi was great. She's very good with follow-up questions and asking for explanations. Um, so he, he has this long list here. Let's see. Uh, I, I'll try to read some of these. Kenichi appears to be a very good coach and understanding of his position duties. He's able to answer questions with intelligence and knowledge. He coaches up his players. Clancy can be abrupt at times, but he really knows the defense and has established its identity, aggressive, and came to play. Dillon's a great hire, knowledgeable, forthright, and has uh, definitely improved the play. The running backs, T, not sure if he's capable of running an offense. He evades a lot of questions, uh, very ambiguous answers. Callaway appears to be defensive in all his interviews, leads me to believe that he's unsure of himself. Play of the offensive line confirms that he's not the right guy for this position. I don't know if he's unsure of himself, but he's he's certainly not comfortable talking to the media. Like he's That's just like um, a foreign concept to him, so... He's, he's not really into that. Baxter, in years past, he seemed to be creative and, speci- and special teams performed well. I don't believe that he became a bad coach all of a sudden. Adoree made him look good. But the interaction between him and a head coach must be lacking in the uh, philosophical department. Special teams appears to be hesitant in their play, which is death for special teams. They don't look like they enjoy the game. Helton made his reputation as a winner on Darnold. He needs to upgrade several position coaches uh, the thing that bothers me the most about Helton is that he likes to start many of his pressers slash interviews with, I've been coaching for 27 years, which indicates that he does not handle criticism very well. Appears to be insecure, uh, unable to co- to change and in over his head. With an improved coaching staff and his willingness to let them handle their duties, he could stick around because the players appear to love him. He could be Barry Switzer, not the most competent coach, but a very successful one. You don't expect to share this email because of its length. Guess you are my USC football shrink. You guys are the best. Thanks, Don. Well, I read the whole thing, Don, even though my voice is dying right now. But I, you know, I had some good points in there when to kind of address them. But thanks for sending that in. And I did have a good time in San Antonio. It's good to be back, but I was just on the road for about two weeks. Brian, what's good? Brian from Beham checking in. Got a few thoughts. Wanted to get your opinion. What do you think about T. Martin becoming the off the quarterback coach and Kerry Colbert becoming the wide receiver coach? We definitely need a new OL coach and DB coach. Um, I think that's a possibility. We'll see, Brian. Um, I think Kerry Colbert's name is definitely one that we've heard that could be promoted. Uh, could be for that tenth assistant spot. Um, but you know, they, maybe they, you know, Brian Ellis, who they promoted for the bowl game, could just keep him as the quarterback coach. T. Martin. Uh, stays the offensive coordinator. Maybe maybe Kiri comes in and he helps with the wide receivers or takes over the wide receiver duties. And T. Martin can only be the quarterback. I mean, the only OC. That's probably my guess of what happens right now. Sort of the easiest thing, and you know, not the most flashy thing. And that's just the kind of decisions that USC's made lately. So, if I had to guess right now, it would just be Kiri Colbert, uh, who I love. I mean, he's he's a great dude. Takes over as a wide receiver coach. Um, T. Martin is the offensive coordinator, maybe helps out and then uh, with wide receivers. And uh, Brian Ellis stays on as quarterback coach. 
Charlie from Carson, watching the Oklahoma-Georgia game, I can't help but notice the Oklahoma offensive tempo compared to ours. Baker Mayfield already knows what the play is, can make audibles when he needs to. He has control. USC gets to the line, then looks at the sideline for seven seconds of being generous with his number at times and then hikes the ball. Coach from Oklahoma is in the first head coaching position and he looks prepared. Clay Allen and company need a better approach. I can't. It can't be that Urban Meyer is a more seasoned coach uh, and that our staff is still learning. Well, Urban Meyer is a very seasoned coach with multiple national championships and the USC staff is still learning. So I think that's exactly the case. They're a growing trend now with young head coaches being hired and being successful. Oklahoma coach, Rams coach, Phillies coach, hell, even Lane Kiffin made improvements. Charlie from Carson. No, good points. There are some young coaches of, you know, but, you know, you look at um, the Oklahoma situation and, yeah, he's a young head coach who came in, but who was he learning under? You know, Bob Stoops, who, you know, won tons and tons and tons of games. Um, I think a lot of times when you look at head coaches, you know, that there were assistants or whatever, who were they learning from? The problem is Clay Helton was learning from Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin, not like these amazing head coaches. So uh, if you're talking about being Bob Stoops, you know, right-hand man for, for years and years, that's one thing as opposed to being Lane Kiffin's for a couple of years or Steve Sarkeesian's for a couple of years. Kerry T. Ryan, I listen to you guys all the time. Huge SC fan out of Dallas. Wondering who do you feel will come back for another year? Okay, so this, obviously, we, we kind of know most of the guys now. We're still waiting on some of the defensive players. Um... Let me check Twitter right now if anything broke uh, over the while I've been talking. But yeah, so I mean, most the defensive players we kind of had a feeling were going to mostly come back. Um, but you know, I, I felt like Deontay Burnett was going to come back too, and that didn't. Uh, you know, obviously, that didn't come to be. So uh, we'll see. But I, I kind of think most of the guys that you know, the three guys on offensive left, probably that'll be it. But I mean, Rasheem Green, I think there's a really good chance he could leave too, but there's some rumblings that he might stay. We will see. Lamar in the high desert. Hello, Trojans. Hope you had a great new year. I listened to the previous podcast, and I'm positive and am a positive subscriber to what I think after listening to Tough Fan Love. Uh, I scribe this note to state that with all the critique of this young coaching staff and after watching UCF do an outstanding job on the offensive line against Auburn, I now believe that the outcry by USC fans for better offensive line coaching is warranted. Oh, so Lamar's changed his mind. I was putting it on the kids, but I know the SC kids are stouter than the non-Power 5 team. Auburn responded after being embarrassed, but got outplayed. I'd like to hear what y'all have to say. And last, does Sam have a quarterback coach? Lamar in the high desert. So as of now, it's still Brian Ellis. Uh, Lamar, we'll see if that changes. Uh, We asked Clay Helton before the bowl game if he was going to be a candidate for the job, and he said he certainly would be. Uh, and like I said, if I had to guess at this point, they'd probably just hire, you know, keep him hired on. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, we've talked about the offensive line coach and stuff a lot, but, you know, it's uh, apparently you've changed your mind where you thought it was mostly players, and now you think it's coaching. All right, Clay, Clay in L.A., probably not Clay Helton, but different Clay. Put on your best Clay Helton polo for a second and answer me this. If you could only make one change this offseason, what would it be? For example, specific coaching change, more physical practice, etc. Thanks. And fight the F on Clay in L.A. Woo. Put me on the spot. Okay. If I could only make one change, 
I, you know, I do, and I've been clear about this. I feel like they they need an upgrade in the coaching staff. I think I'd go there. I mean, I'd like to say uh, more full pads practice, more physical practice. That kind of affects everybody. You know, if I could only make one, maybe I'll do that. And uh, I think I will. But it's really hard because I, I think you need more than one change. And I'm not sure if you're going to get any of them. But I'll pick the uh, more physical practices. And maybe that fixes a, a, a few of the, the problems that are that are going on. Wow, we still got... Uh, we still got more, but I'm going to keep answering, you know, until my, until I can't even talk anymore. Another text. Hey guys, Matt here from Red Bluff, California. Long time listener. First time texting. I was curious if Clay Hilton doesn't figure out, figure it out next year. Do you think a guy like PJ Fleck would be a good fit? You guys are awesome. Thanks for what you do. Uh, PJ Fleck. So he was the Western Michigan row your boat guy. I didn't really follow him too much at Minnesota, uh, this year, kind of a cliche guy. Um, I don't know, and potential, but I, I I just would say I don't know enough about PJ Fleck, but he he did some really good things at Western Michigan. NorCal Trojan, Aloha Ryan and Parasol Posse. So there will be a race for the starting QB job. Sounds familiar. I guess they need a quarterback coach first, but how many weeks will it take to name a starting quarterback? It will be a huge disappointment, but not shocking if no starting quarterback is named. Going into week one, fire away. All right. Um, I think there will be a, if you're talking about week one of the season, yeah, of course, there's, I think there'll be a starting quarterback name. They're not going to pull a Cody Kessler, Max Wittick again. That did not work out very well. I, I, well, I don't think they will. Um, I'm not sure if they'll name one in the spring. They'll probably be, you know, I, I'm guessing just Matt Fink is the leader and just remains the leader throughout the spring unless Jack Sears does something crazy. Crazy good. Um, but will they hold off on saying Matt Fink's our starter right now? Or will he say something like Matt Fink is, if we had to play a game tomorrow, Matt Fink would be the starter. But then once the summer comes, they let JT Daniels compete. I kind of think that's the way it's going to go. But then if you're talking about, if Daniels has a real shot, it's going to be hard because you might be waiting until the week before the game to name a starter um, because you got to give him as much time as possible to try to win the job. So, yeah, I don't know. But I, I think by week one, they should name somebody. Unless it's something like Daniels is playing well, but their Fink is the starter and he's sort of like the second guy and they bring him in off the bench. or so, It could be something like that. So stay tuned, though. It's going to be a really interesting offseason. SC less in Seattle. Very excited for Sam Darnold and his future moving forward. My question is, what does USC do for a quarterback in 2018? We have three talented guys currently uh, slated to compete for the starting job. I'm assuming JT keeps his commitment, but why not go out and get a guy with some experience like Kyle Allen from Houston? Um, I think he'd be very effective in SC's offense. It could and should happen. You heard it for me. First for me, SC less in Seattle, LOL. Um, yeah, there were some opportunities to bring in transfers. And everything we heard is Clay Helton decided against that. So it'll be the three guys competing that we talked about. Ryan, Ryan and OC, class of 94. Many people think USC need to needs to match the staffing levels for coaching and recruitment of Alabama and Georgia. Are there limits on what USC can spend on the football program, NCAA rules, revenue from the conference, or is it just a matter of decision makers at USC choosing to spend more on the football program? 
Or is this a function of boosters at schools like Alabama giving them extra money that USC just doesn't have? I'll start the GoFundMe page if that's an issue. Ryan and OC. Class of 94. Um, no, so everyone's under the same rules. There's no, like, Pac-12 rules. Um, it's about USC and what they want to spend. And it's not even... I wouldn't put a lot on the administration right now if you're saying, well, why did USC just... So say USC promotes from within for the next two coaches and doesn't go out and get a big name. Well, why didn't they go out and do that? Well, I don't think it's the administration saying, you have no money. Don't, you know, just promote from within. I think that's more of, it's a Clay Hilton decision that he would have to go and say to to, to Lynn Swan, I want to go get this guy for a million bucks. Can we get him? Um, and have Lynn Swan say no. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think Clay Hilton's asking for to hire a big name coach and they're saying, no, it's too much money. I think it's more about USC is not trying to go out and hire these big name coaches on the, now we've heard some, some budget concerns on the support staff side. I think that's got to change too, but that's something Clay Hilton's got to push for is to make sure that they're bringing in enough guys. I mean, the support staffs at Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State, I mean, it's pales in comparison to what USC has. Now, they're they're recruiting in much, much, much more competitive environments. USC is the alpha dog. The way they recruit, they still bring in guys every year. Um, I think it's going to be harder to recruit out of state because of the lack of uh, support staff or you know the, the lack of depth. And I think the support staff does a great job. They're just not very deep. You know, they have some good starters, but you're talking about guys they can bring in like hockey lines off the bench at Alabama and and USC has a starting five and that's it. So yeah, I think there's some, I think there's some changes that need to be made and I don't think money is really holding them back, but there's nothing that's stopping USC from going out and, and getting Norm Chow to be an offensive consultant. You know, he's not on staff, but just go pay a bunch of money to, to be hanging around and, and learn from the team. So um, that's something other programs are doing uh, that USC is not right now. Let's see. Don says, I believe Lin Swan is having a difficult time with Clay Helton. Although he certainly is a nice guy, I believe he is full of himself. I'm not sure if you mean Clay Helton's full of himself or Lin Swan's full of himself. He has reached his goal coaching at USC, and he has been a career coach, so he knows everything about coaching and building a staff. Uh, I cannot recall him ever admitting a mistake or changing a game plan. He always quotes statistics after a loss defending his game planning. All of us hoping for coaching changes will be disappointed. Have you heard any rumors about changes? Possibly position coaches looking for upgrades at other programs. T is with us unless he leaves for a head coaching job. Helton will not displace him. Don. Yeah, Don, I don't think he's going to displace really anybody. So maybe some players, some coaches were kind of encouraged to go find other jobs. And we'll see if they end up doing that. Then then you got to give Clay on credit because he he did essentially get rid of them. Now, he didn't do it in a you're fired way. Um, but he would have effectively got rid of the guy to replace him with someone else. So there's still some chance of that, but I just don't see him coming in and going, you know what? We won 11 games, won the Pac-12, but we have some deficiencies. I'm making these changes. I, I just don't see that happening. Ryan and team, after listening to podcasts throughout the year, lots of doom and gloom fans, I wanted to ask the following. With the Trojans coming off brutal sanctions, then back-to-back bad coaching hires in Kiffin Sark, was this program really back after the Rose Bowl win, I don't believe people really put in perspective how much those three elements put the program back. I know Kiffin and Sark brought in talented recruits, 
Uh, but was the program really being built back back up? I would say no. Those recruiting classes were more hype than substance. I know Coach Helton needs to make changes in his staff and his learning on the job, but I think the recruits he's bringing in and his philosophy will bring the program in the long run, uh, build the program in the long run uh, much more than when he inherited it. Just the facts over the last two years, we've seen more resolve out of the players than we have in prior years. I know at USC you don't necessarily get to time to learn on the job, but once Helton has, quote-unquote, his guys in the program, then the fans will see him and the team take the next step. Would love to hear your thoughts, Frank. That's a more positive uh, email, Frank. Appreciate one that. Um, so, I mean, the problem is you can argue Kiffin and Sark were much more qualified to become the USC head coach than Clay Helton was. So a lot of people are feeling that's three bad hires in a row, especially because this one is someone that's learning on the job. At least the other two guys were head coaches in major college football and the NFL. So that's kind of what you're up against here. Um, I think Sark recruited both those guys. I think recruiting wasn't really a problem. Kiffin's collapse ended up like collapsing a, a, you know, the, the collapse in 2012 really hurt in the middle of sanctions where the recruiting class collapsed and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll see. And I, I think part of the problem, part of the thing is learning on the job is that staff changes do, do need to be made. And if he's not going to make them this off season, I think he's just making it a lot harder on himself going forward where it's like, you're all in on the original guys, the people that were really close to you that you hired to begin with are still there three years later. And even though there's a lot of evidence saying like, you know what, these, these changes could be made. So um, I get Frank, I get you. I, I mean, I think a lot of fans, even the fans that don't like Clay Hilton would love to see him succeed. They're just seeing some problems and we're not necessarily seeing those problems addressed. So I think it's a very important off season and I'm hoping Clay Hilton makes some really good moves and some changes that would impact the team. And I think he has, I think he does have what it takes to be a great head coach as he's, you know, learning and, and doing all a lot of this stuff for the first time. But some of the decisions I'm seeing lately, Frank is it's uh it's concerning. And that makes me believe, I'm not sure if this is really going the right direction. We'll see. Um, but I like the, I like the positive attitude, Frank. That's great. Another Don T commented about how organized Alabama looked in pregame. Do you think he will evaluate USC staff, not USC staff nonchalant attitude regarding structure and discipline. Hopefully T and Clay will sit down and evaluate their coaching and correct some mistakes. Um, there are a lot of mistakes I think that need to be corrected. Uh, Don, we'll see. I don't, I don't know about the nonchalant attitude, but T dog, it seems that our program has quote unquote stability in regards to its coaching staff. Unfortunately, this doesn't satisfy, satisfy us fans because we expect national championships. And it's obvious that we are a mile or two away from this question. Should we either lower our expectations for the next four years from our national championship desires, or should we remain hopeful that this program will deliver in the next few years? Well, T-Dog, I think that's up to you. Um, if you're a fan of the team, I think you'd be hopeful that they can get back to a championship. But you look at the two teams that we saw play last night, and I think USC is pretty far away uh, from either one of those teams uh, the way it's constructed right now. So, um, there was some real high level football going on and some, some bonehead mistakes too, but 
We've seen some flashes where USC can compete at times, but there's, I think, like you said, I think changes, if you want to get to that next level, there's still a ways away. And were you getting better all year? I don't know. Were you striving to be that? I don't know. Like you, you lost to the, the power teams and you, you barely beat some of the weaker teams. Wasn't a great season as far as feeling good about momentum going in. A lot of great momentum last year. You felt good. Not the same kind of feeling this year. All right. I'm on a roll. I think I'm going to keep going here. We, we got a few more left. Uh, I just actually just got a call. I had to pause. Uh, from a, a prominent national uh, sporting analyst, uh, radio host, who we've had on the show before, but Colin was expressing his concerns about the USC football team. So all these emails and stuff I'm reading and texts and all that stuff, uh, you guys aren't alone. There's other people that uh, feel your pain. PJ and the OC, thanks for all the work you and your staff do for us Trojan fans. I would like to bring up three questions that I'm not hearing discussed lately. All right, we'll see if these are not being discussed because a lot of these questions we discuss a lot. Uh, what are the chances USC starts to focus their recruiting on elite offensive line and defensive line talent uh, instead of so many skill position guys? There seems to be a greater need in those trench areas than on getting so many skill guys we can't get meaningful game reps. Well, USC's done that, um, PJ. Uh, look at the recruiting class from just from last year, last couple of years with defensive linemen, offensive linemen, um, to the point where they're not going to bring as many guys this year because of that. So that's certainly been a focus for Clay Helton. He's doing that a lot better than I would say Steve Sarkeesian or uh, Lane Kiffin did. Two, what are the chances Clay Helton fires his underachieving assistants and actually pursues ones that elite programs covet? Okay, PJ, I don't know if you, if you think this, these have not been discussed, but that's all I've done is discussed that. So, yes, that's that comes up quite a bit. Um, three, what are the chances USC plays a legitimate spring game instead of the exhibition display that's been going on the past few years? Ah, uh, that's interesting. I don't think, I don't think the philosophy is going to change much. It's just been that way. And, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think with a deeper team, you can, you can do that. Um, but we haven't really seen, you know, major shifts in, uh, philosophies for stuff like that, where, you know, they're rolling around doing practices a certain way or spring game a certain way. They just haven't changed it out of the blue. So I don't think that'll change. He says, I think these are all big differences between the Trojans and the rest, uh, the real national title contenders. Thanks again, Ryan. PJ from the OC. Good points, PJ. Thank you. But yeah, certainly stuff we've discussed. Gentlemen, one of life's truths is that if you want to have a smart dog, you better be smarter than the dog. Is there anyone who is mentoring slash coaching Clay Helton in an effort to improve his chances of success. In big games, he seems to consistently make the same mistakes over and over again. Or is Helton so overconfident and full of himself that he refuses to take advice? Perhaps his stubborn nature ends up being his undoing. Seems that next season will be huge for Helton's head coaching career. Fight on Geo in South Carolina. All right, Geo. Um, no, I don't think he's a... Uh, full of himself kind of guy. Um, I think he's getting advice, probably not getting the best advice. Um, you know, his dad is a long time head coach. Didn't have a good record. He had a pretty terrible record, but he's been a head coach for a long time. There's all these guys are, you know, there's a, a pretty tight knit group where, you know, they worked with Callaway before, um, you know, Brian Ellis, even the new, uh, you know, the quarterback coach for the bowl game, um, you know, 
was taught by a lot, you know the same coaches, his dad and, and Neil Calloway and, and Tyson Hill, all those guys. So it's it's a pretty tight knit group. So I think you're probably not getting in a lot of outside opinions. It's it's like that you're getting the opinions of this tight knit group, and uh, I think it'd be great. You bring in a deal in McCullough. I thought it was a great hire. Love to see a couple more of those, and it seems like they're not going in that direction for some reason. So love that you. Dylan McCullough seemed like it should have been the first step, not like, okay, we did that. Now we don't have to, we can back off and just keep our friends and everyone close. So um, that's kind of where it is right now. Tyler and Sammamish. I find myself feeling despondent over the state of our program. And oddly, it's a time when there are no external causes slash excuses, no coach with substance abuse issues, no scholarship limitations, no quote, quote unquote, interim coach label, et cetera. Things are stable. We have a head coach who's a great guy, and we're winning a lot of games. Yet, if you ask me about my confidence level regarding the near future of vying for national championships like Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, uh, consistent top five, I'd have to say low. Our defense is solid, yet a Helton slash T-led offense has me very concerned long-term. And as many have noted, Sam covered a a multitude of sins, Please say something encouraging about our team as I sit up here in the dark and rainy Seattle. Tyler and Sammamish. Tyler, it's uh, it's dark and rainy down here in L.A. right now, too. I forgot to mention that at the top of the show, which was like an hour and a half ago. I can't believe I've gone on this long. Um, I think a lot of USC fans share your concern. My my national radio host friend shared your exact concern. Uh, he, I mean, basically called me to say he watched the two games last night. The, the two teams last night and came to the conclusion that USC is nowhere close to that right now. So he was a little um, upset too, or just, just disappointed. Um, it seems like USC is a ways away. And, uh, and I, I think here's a positive thing. USC can get there. They can win the battles on the West coast. They did it this year. They won the PAC 12. You got to win some of these national battles too. You got to beat the Notre Dames and the Ohio States and stuff of the world. And I think they're close to being able to get there. And there's things that they can do under their control. Coaching staff changes, things like that. Assistant coaches that can get you there and get you over the hump. Um, The problem is I'm not sure they're going to make those changes. And we'll see. But uh, I think that's certainly you're, you're not alone in your concerns. Um, and if you, you know, you listen to the whole podcast, all those emails, there's a lot of people that are kind of in that same boat. All right, two more and I'll rest my voice. Don, best of luck to Sam and Rojo. SC will have Burnett, Pittman, Vaughns, Lewis, and St. Brown and a couple of tight ends. I hope SC concentrates on their offensive line this spring, summer, fall with good line play. SC should be very dynamic. Also hope Helton has the guts and wisdom to start the best quarterback next year. Other than a few Fink reps, none of the quarterbacks have any college experience. Yeah, that's that's a problem. Do you think that Helton will ever critically evaluate the coaching staff, made the right uh, changes, or or be so stubborn that he will get fired? Learning on the job is fine. Do you think he's shown any improvements in his game planning or game management? Okay, a bunch of different topics. Don. I think we've talked about these before, but I think there's been some improvements for sure. Um some of them have been incremental, and and I think the improvement like last year of bringing in Dylan McCullough 
was huge. But then you got to build on that. And you have to look at it like, wow, that was a really big success. Bringing in an outside coach we have no ties to. So you have another opening? Do it again. You know, bring in the best available coach. He's been a huge bright spot. Um, it's another voice. It's an outside opinion who can come in and go, you know what? We've seen this. This worked. Maybe you should incorporate this. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think if he doesn't make those changes, and I don't know if, it's, but I don't know if it's being stubborn. I think it's just more about doing what you feel comfortable doing, and it seems like that's a smaller sphere than what you'd like, and especially the the head coach at USC. And I think after a couple of years, you want that sphere to expand and comfort level and express your opinions more and complain about things to your administration that you don't like, as opposed to being like kind of tighter knit and sort of like happy to be there. You're just, you're, it's not just your ego's getting bigger, but your, your sphere of influence is getting bigger. And yes, you were hired and it was a, it's a really big deal and the best thing that's ever happened to you. But now you're the head coach of USC. It's a few years down the road. You've won a Rose Bowl. You won the Pac-12. Act like in a more regal way. Like you should be the head coach of USC. And we have an opening. I'm going to go get this guy. I'm going to shoot for the stars and get people, hire away someone from Washington or Nebraska or whoever and bring in people that are, are the really good. Um, as opposed to, you know, internal hires and, and promoting from within, which, you know, works at times. But man, there's just been so much of that. Kind of move on. All right. Sorry, Don, I didn't want to go too long on that. The last one, I can't believe I got through this entire list. So I'm going to have to go through and count how many questions we answered uh, or I answered on this one. Terrence from High Point, North Carolina. Just wanted to know if you guys think the early departures for the NFL will expose the coaching staff as inadequate. Man, this has been the common theme. Perhaps Sam Darnold and Ronald Jones propped up the USC offense. Perhaps now we will find out if the coaches can actually coach and develop players and game plans. What do you guys think? I'm worried that the bottom is about to fall out on this team. Terrence in High Point, North Carolina. I mean, it's a, you are not alone. There's a lot of people that sort of feel that way. Um, Terrence, there's the, there's people that just don't like Clay Helton that are feeling that um, with Sam Darnold gone, the offense is going to die and the coaching staff will be exposed. Like that's what some people think. Um We'll see. But I, I still think there's a really talented team. Um, you know, JT Daniels really looks like he's got upside galore. I've been impressed with Matt Fink's improvement. Um, I think he's, a, you know, a long way away from being like a Sam Darnold. And uh, Jack Sears has been good. But I think, you know, there was a struggle just transitioning to from high school to college. We'll see how he kind of performs this spring and if he takes some strides forward, which I expect him to do. Um, you know, I, I think in the running game, R Ronald Jones is amazing and it's going to be hard to replace, but Stephen Carr is an amazing talent too. You saw Najee Harris last year, him and Stephen Carr were like the two best running backs in the country. Um, Najee was killing it in the national championship game in the second half. Um, Alabama started putting a bunch of freshmen in and they performed well. I think USC needs to have that mentality too. At times you got to play the younger players and, uh, there's been a reluctance to do that at times. So. We'll see, but um, that's one of the possibilities is USC kind of falls on their face like they did in 2012. That's always a possibility. I mean, that, that's certainly going to happen. And if it does happen, it's going to 
it's going to be really tough for Clay Helton to recover because all the it, basically it's like Sam Darnold leaves and the team's bad. Um, and if that does happen, if like it's a really bad seven and five type of season or something, my guess is Lin Swan makes a move. So, but I don't think it. I don't think that's like. I think that's a chance that that happens, but I don't think that's the you know likely to happen. Um, a lot of bad things would probably kind of happen in succession. But I think Clayton can avoid a lot of that by making some changes on the coaching staff like now. Um, so we'll see. But Terrence, good stuff there. Lots of really good questions. And I do apologize that you know some of those kind of sat for a while. There were some Cotton Bowl ones, but a lot of the more recent ones I wanted to get to too with people addressing uh, what they saw in like the, the playoffs and then, of course, uh, guys turning pro. And all kinds of stuff like that. But let's see where we went. Ah, an hour and 36 minutes or so. Um, well, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I just feel weird. I get like this ADD thing where I have all these questions piled up and I want to make sure we get to them all. And I uh, did my best to answer them. Hope you enjoyed all of that. We'll have a recruiting podcast this week. And there's a bunch of questions also for Dan Weber. So we'll we'll bring Dan in later in the week and have him discuss all of that kind of stuff as well. So uh, appreciate you listening to the Parasol podcast and uh, thanks for sending in all the questions. Sorry I took I delayed a little bit to get to some of those, uh, but appreciate you coming in, listening to us, subscribing, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.